0: maybe it's a classic or maybe a flop has katie seen it she probably has not she'll sit down and watch it if it's good or it's bad hey have you seen this no katie hasn't seen that hi i'm katie and if i had a nickel for every time someone said to me wait you haven't seen this movie oh my god you need to see this movie i'd be very rich So this is my podcast where I finally watch those movies you all have told me I need to see, and I tell you what I think. Well, 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 I'm back with another episode of Katie Hasn't Seen That. And remember, sometimes you feel like a spoiler, and sometimes you don't. Keep that in mind because there's be spoilers ahead, okay? There's be spoilers ahead. And I said that, and I'm sticking with it. (laughs) Today, I am going to be watching A Clockwork Orange. Now, I knew people in college. I went to film school for a tiny bit. There were some people who loved this movie, and I still did not see it. A lot of kids had this poster, also in college, and I feel like a lot of other movies make reference to A Clockwork Orange. This is all I know. Panic at the Disco seems to give off Clockwork Orange vibes in the early days when it was actually a whole band and not just the lead singer. There's that whole scene with the eyes being held open because I feel like that imagery is just always associated with it and Kubrick is involved. And also people all the time are like, Katie, Katie, oh no, there's adult themes in it. Like I haven't seen anything with adult themes before, though I do believe there's some intense stuff in this, but I do not truly know what the intense stuff is, though I'm expecting the worst is the way that I should feel like I should feel about that. This movie came out in 1971, and it's listed as a drama crime, drama slash crime. And I think I was trying to combine those two words, and I just made a sound. This movie is two hours and 16 minutes. So I'm going to buckle up for that, put on my big boy popcorn pants, and I'm going to watch the two hour, 16 minute long movie. So yeah, this movie is directed by Stanley Kubrick. And it also has someone I recognize in it, uh, Malcolm McDowell. And I'm going through the rest of this actors list. And I can't say that I recognize anybody else, though I'm sure maybe throughout it'll be one of those movies where I'm like, oh, hey, that person. And then I'll get my phone out and be like, oh, it's that person too. So I do recognize Malcolm McDowell because he was in Entourage. He also plays a bad guy in a lot of stuff, I feel like. Oh, damn, he was in Star Trek Generations? Hell yeah. He's also in quite a few Halloween movies, it looks like. He was in Tank Girl, which was one I watched last season for Katie Hasn't Seen That. He was in I Spy. Oh, he was a bad guy in I Spy, which is Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson. My sister and I watched that movie a lot when we were younger. I don't know why, but it's like one of those buddy comedies. Also, can I just talk about why does every single comedy movie made within the last 15 years feel the need to do a choreographed dance number at the end of the movie or somewhere in the movie or both? Like, do they just not know how to end movies nowadays that are comedies? So they're like, let's have an orchestrated singing and dance number. It's almost comical where I'm like, I bet they're going to end the movie with the dance and the singing. And I'm right. 95% of the time. Is this a conspiracy? I think so, and I think Big Hollywood is behind it. Oh, he was also in Silent Hill Revelations, which I have seen because I'm interested in the lore of that world. So, yes, I've watched those movies. So, he's been in a lot of stuff, and apparently he is also in this. He might even be the lead actor, but I'm not going to check because that would be technically a spoiler. But yes, a crime drama from 1971, A Clockwork Orange, it's a Kubrick film. I know Kubrick only did a handful of movies. I've seen The Shining now and 2001 A Space Odyssey, both of which I did for the podcast. So if you want to go listen to those episodes, those are out there and hear what I think about those. What do I think this movie is about? I have zero clue. I feel like there's going to be clocks in it. I think it's going to be super British. I feel like there's going to be some top hats and dapper dressing. But what do I think this movie is literally about? Honestly, just based on the clips and phrases and things that I have seen over the years, someone who's a psychopath who makes clocks maybe and also really likes the color orange. That sounds pretty good. I'm going to go with that. That seems very much like a possibility. Gotta throw enough darts out there. Sometimes some of them land. (laughs) But I'm very curious. How much was the budget for this movie and how much did it make? The budget was estimated to be $2.2 million. That's nothing to sniff at. And apparently it is said to have grossed $26,617,553. That's also a lot of money, and I feel like for 1971, that's probably some big bucks, you know? It's no 100 mil, but it's still a quarter of a million, so that's better than I expected. It's always felt like it's like an indie film, but I think I'm very wrong about that. And what are the ratings for this movie? Apparently, it's got an 8.3 out of 10 on Internet Movie Database, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, 77% on Metacritic, and 88% of Google users liked this movie. That's pretty even across the board. So it seems like it's liked in about 80% of scenarios. (laughs) So I guess I'm going to see if I fall on that 20% or that 80%. All right, without further ado, I'm going to go see if I'm going to regret watching this, and I will let you all know what I think. I have returned and I watched A Clockwork Orange. I did it. I I did all two hours and 17 minutes of it, okay? Oh, I, I don't even know how to start this. So let's just start with the movie info, the little descriptions, so we can get our, our groundwork. I have a feeling a lot of you have probably seen A Clockwork Orange because it's a pretty famous movie. Obviously this movie has made its mark in Cinema history? I'm, okay, so I, I won't lie. I Googled why is A Clockwork Orange famous? And, you know, for the time period, I guess this movie came out in 1971. So it's an older movie and it has some like controversial stuff in it, you know? Just a little bit. But I was like, okay, why is this movie famous? And they're saying every element, the costumes, dialogue, performance, cinematography, music, set design, and locations is compelling. And it talks about how the movies also made an impact on literary, musical, and visual culture. And apparently from this one website, it talks about how the novel is concerned with the conflict between the individual and the state, the punishment of young criminals, and the possibility or otherwise of redemption. So I guess like if redemption is possible kind of thing. (laughs) got some thoughts on that. We'll get into that a little bit later, but let me just read exactly what A Clockwork Orange's premises is about. That was too many S's. I'm pretty sure I didn't say that sentence right, but we're going to go with it. In an England of the future, which I'm just going to say right now, they should have clarified at least some point in the movie that this took place in the future. I think it would have cleared up a lot. I digress. In an England of the future, Alex and his droogs spend their night getting high at the Corova milk bar before embarking on a little of the old ultraviolence while jauntily warbling singing in the rain after he's jailed for bludgeoning the cat. Oh my god, this frickin' description is just as jargony as the frickin' movie. After he's jailed for bludgeoning the cat lady to death, Alex submits to behavior modification technique to earn his freedom. He's conditioned to abhor violence and sexuality. Returned to the world defenseless, Alex becomes the victim of his prior crimes. I mean, that actually is a fairly good overarching description of the movie. Alex is played by Malcolm McDowell, which I think I talked about in the intro a bit, but he's been in so many movies, and I do enjoy him as an actor. He plays a great villain, and I'm also like, did he get typecast as a villain, or have I not seen enough of his work besides everything he has like a villain arc in? Because he's kind of a villain in this movie. But the first thing I have to do is get the elephant out of the room, which is Panic! at the Disco took their entire aesthetic for their first album from A Clockwork Orange. Which I think I already knew, but like you look up early, panic at the disco, especially I write sins, not tragedies, that music video, but even just their aesthetic in the early years is very Clockwork Orange. So this whole movie, I'm like, ah, I get it. I think I already knew that they were inspired a bit by Clockwork Orange. I'm just confused as to why. I guess let's get it out of the way right away. What? Why is this movie as popular as it is? What about this movie makes it? steadfast and something that inspires cinema and literary works and music videos by Panic at the Disco. I went into this movie like a really open mind because when I was in college and went to film school for a bit, everybody I knew in film school had a freaking poster of a clockwork orange on their wall. And again, when I was in college, posters were like a thing. Maybe posters are still a big thing. I don't actually know. But the bookstore on campus sold like a set amount of posters. And like, so you saw a lot of the same posters on campus because a lot of us didn't have cars. We weren't going anywhere super frequently. So Clockwork Orange was one of them. So I saw this poster so much. I just remember in college people talking about like, oh my gosh, Clockwork Orange. Oh, whoa. So, you know, sitting down for this, I had already known a little bit about it, such as the eye thing and the aesthetics of it. But I was not really... Expecting a lot. I didn't go into this movie like, okay, this is going to change my life. I was trying to go in with an open headspace. So, first thing I see, lots of mannequins with boobies. And I'm just going to say there were a lot of boobies in this movie. Okay. So, if you're going to watch this movie, be prepared for a lot of boobage. Okay. Which some people are into. But you know me, I'm a big, big equal opportunist. You're going to show a lot of boob, you got to show a lot, a lot of uh, man stuff too, okay? (laughs) Man stuff. I do feel like, wait, if you're going to do a lot of like full frontal nudity or nudity in general, like you got to be an equal opportunist there. You got to get a little bit of everything, okay? But we start off in this milk bar with mannequins and apparently these guys wearing some diapers. And I know they weren't diapers. They were cups. It was like a rugby cup something. But it was an interesting choice that we meet Alex and his droogs with cups on like little, little diaper cups. Because I mean, I won't lie to you all. Why wear them on the outside? They look like diapers. It was not an aesthetic choice to be like, yeah, this looks cool. Nobody thought they looked cool. Everybody thought they were incontinent. At least that's what I thought. So we start out with that. And I was giggling about the diaper-esque look while they're drinking milk in a bar. And I'm like, is this some sort of Freudian thing that I'm not picking up on? I know this is based on a book. I've never read the book. Perhaps maybe one of these days I will read this book. But from the few things I saw after I watched this movie, the movie apparently follows the book pretty closely and a lot of the stuff comes directly from the book. So maybe I won't read it. I probably won't. (laughs) But, you know, we never say never. I already knew going into this, a couple people had been like, oh, I don't know if you want to watch that. I don't know. I mean, it's pretty. Oh boy. Ho ho. Some people have this conception about me that I can't handle stuff. Like, it's a bit odd because I feel like I can handle stuff more so than other people. I always appreciate the warnings. I always use does the dog die.com or my husband does to make sure like something we're watching won't be upsetting because for me, animal death is very triggering. But like, I've watched a lot of movies, okay? I've seen a lot like, There is content in this movie that is alarming, but I always think it's funny when people come into my life and they're like, oh man, I don't know if you should watch that. I don't, and I'm like, I'll be fine. I like to be educated about what I consume, and so I promise you, I won't watch something I don't think I can handle, okay? And I won't lie, this movie, yes, tackled some really kind of up stuff. It was not, As bad as some of the movies nowadays. Like, if this movie was made today, oh boy, it would be cranked up to a thousand. I think why people feel this way about it now is because this was made in the 70s. I think in 71, this was not content that was regularly put out. The violence in it, the sexual assaults, the way this movie kind of puts you off balance with the language that they use, which I think is kind of a made up language in the book, if I remember correctly. So they're using like interesting words that I do not come across much in my everyday vernacular. This movie felt very Shakespearean in the sense where when you read Shakespeare, which I've read a lot of Shakespeare, actually. I mean, when I was in film school, I had to read a lot of Shakespeare. I also read a bunch of Shakespeare in high school, which I think a lot of us did. But I have always prided myself in that I can get what Shakespeare was trying to convey because a lot of people are like, oh my God, Shakespearean speak is sometimes very convoluted and confusing and we don't speak in those ways now. So I felt like this movie felt like a modern day Shakespearean thing. So it kind of puts you off balance because you really have to pay attention to what they're saying and pick up on some context clues and like start to figure out the flow of the movie because it can be a little bit like, whoa, what's happening? What are they saying right out the gate? It felt very warriors, but British is the best comparison I can make. There was so much rape in this movie and like prolonged sequences of showing, I don't know how to say this besides molestation and groping and fighting in those sequences where like the woman is trying to get away. Those scenes particularly were more upsetting because of the prolonged nature of them And then whenever the fighting started, it seemed almost cartoony. I don't know if I'm the only one that feels that way. But, you know, there's like these prolonged sequences of perceived and actual sexual assaults. And then it's just kind of like goofy, violent fighting. It's still violent, but it just didn't feel like it had the same weight. I just felt this movie in general was gratuitous in a way that it didn't need to be. It didn't feel like a commentary on anything. It just felt like it could do these things, so it did. He has a dildo nose at one point. There's things like that Was very phallic things, very, like, overtly male sexual aggression. Lots of penises, lots of boobs. Like, pe- Let's so penises, I guess. <laughs> lots of boobs, lots of female form in the art. Just interesting aesthetic choices throughout this film that I felt didn't quite make sense or were unnecessary. Throughout this movie it's hard to ignore the amount of female nudity in it. Um it's pretty prevalent and it's used a lot. There was some male nudity in it, but that's kind of where I also flow on that very gratuitous side of things. I'm a huge believer in movies having a point to why there's nudity and or violence in it. Because from a storytelling perspective, I want to know What the point is, I always felt like if there was if there's an unnecessary kiss in a movie, I'm just like, why? They don't they don't even know each other. They've been hanging out for like two days and now they're like making out. There's no reason for it. Like they could hold hands or whatever, but we don't need that. I'm not that kind of person that needs stuff just because they feel like they have to check boxes to hit certain audience points or expectations. I'm just like, I just want a good story. I suppose you could excuse away the gratuitous nature of this film because this film inherently is about a gratuitous person, Alex. This is hysterical to me. Alex is supposed to be 15. And then later in the movie, he's supposed to be 18 or 16 or something. And he's played by a (laughs) 27-year-old. I thought that was funny because I'm like, he's supposed to be like in high school. And I'm like, he looks like he's in his 30s. So that was interesting to me when I looked it up. I had a hard time reconciling some of the way this story was told because it didn't feel purposeful. It felt like it was just there to be there. I also saw that the original cut of this film was four hours long. This one was too long for other reasons I have written down we'll talk about later. One of the issues I had with this movie is right out the gate, It doesn't really explain to you that this is taking place in the future. I'm assuming if you read the book or maybe there was one minuscule detail that I missed because I do try to watch these movies. I'm sitting there like, all right, let's do this. Let's watch these movies. And legitimately, there was no inkling that this was a future time period. I thought it was just taking place in modern times. But no, it does take place in the future. Also starting this film, you're getting used to how they're speaking, all of that. I thought he was saying ultraviolet the whole time and not ultraviolent. I don't like watching movies with subtitles. I had to put subtitles on for this film just because the audio wasn't mastered very well. But on top of it, it just made it easier to get exactly what they were talking about. And yeah, apparently they were not saying ultraviolet. They were saying ultraviolent. So that's, uh, you know, an important thing that changed also a lot of the details of the film. One of the big, quote unquote, iconic scenes from this film is when Alex is singing, singing in the rain and they rape the wife of a man and assault the man in their own home after they do this whole pretend thing of, oh, no, I need help. Let me in. We want to use your phone. And apparently this is just something they do. They just really like to be violent. So they're going into houses doing these things. Another thing I read is that there were copycat crimes after this movie came out which is so messed up. Media in general, man. Sometimes art does not need to imitate life, okay? Other way around. We don't need to take a film. Mm. How uninspired of a person are you to think that that's a good idea? Yeah, I'm judging. I'm doing it. I'm judging. That's just so lame and just unoriginal to think that something like that's okay because you saw it in a movie. I don't know if it's clear by now, but I really didn't like this movie. I finished watching it last night. I have a treadmill now. It's a small one. It's one of those portable ones you can use in like an apartment or whatever. So I use it for when I'm working now because, you know, <laughs> I have back pain and I find that my body hurts when I sit a lot. So when I was watching this, I was like, I'm going to get the treadmill and just like meander while I finish this film. And man, I was so glad I had something else to do because it felt like I was on this journey in this movie. And I was like, I got to get to that end finish line. And so getting to walk on my treadmill was part of that journey, okay? And feeling like I had a destination to get to, but man, that destination was disappointing. I'm just glad I had something else to do with my body while I was watching this film. I know there are diehard Clockwork Orange fans, okay? I see those kids in college who are like, oh my God, I got the poster on the wall. I should have asked all of them. Have you actually seen this film? Please tell me why. You like it. There's so many odd choices too, like when Alex sees his corrective officer in his mother's room in bed, and then his corrective officer grabs his wiener at one point? Okay, what's the deal with that? There's just a lot of phallic things in this movie, weird sexual things, and just a lot of alarm bells go off when you watch this, because I hate Alex so much. He is a predator. He is gross, and I do not like him. And you know what? This movie does explore that whole, do people get redemption arcs? I never once, even after that redemption of him going through the therapy, quote unquote, I didn't care. I don't want anything for Alex. Alex is the worst, and I do not enjoy him as a person. And I'm not rooting for him now that he's gone through this corrective treatment. I'm not saying that that's what the movie was intending for me to feel. I can see what the discussion is. Do you always have that stigma attached to you? Are you always a bad person? He still had those tendencies, but now he just feels physical sickness when he goes to act out on them. I just don't think the movie was effective in trying to express, like, what it was trying to convey. And I know someone on YouTube or somebody somewhere is going to be like, oh, you just didn't get it. You didn't get the nuance of uh, Clockwork Orange. So um, <clears throat> let me explain to you in 15 paragraphs what you missed. Listen, I'm doing my best to be open-minded. And I'm very, yes, I am very analytical when it comes to these movies and stuff. Well, I feel like I'm first to give props where props are due. I have enjoyed a couple of Kubrick's films. We've done other ones for this podcast. I've enjoyed them. I appreciate Kubrick's aesthetic a lot. 2001 A Space Odyssey, I liked a lot more than I thought. Shining, I liked more than I thought I would. This movie just doesn't land for me at all. It just felt off. There's something about this movie that feels off to me. And it doesn't feel like a movie that's trying to tell a story. It's just a movie that wants to exist in a way that interferes in your life. It kind of worms its way into your head. And I felt like I was sitting there trying to get these little details and understand what it was trying to convey. And it just felt like it was there to be gratuitous. And the story didn't feel satisfying. And instead of walking away and thinking about things and ruminating on it and kind of like enjoying the discussion that maybe it presented, I just felt like I wasted my time. After 2020 and just in the last, honestly, year, I feel like as a person, I've changed a lot. You know, I feel like I've grown a lot in the last year. And I'm realizing also as I get older, that time is precious. And I don't enjoy when things feel like they are unaware of other people's time. For example, there's a part in this movie where they're just freaking taking their time on some stuff that I was like, this is not necessary. I'm a huge fan of movies showing not telling. This movie showed too much. I never thought I'd say that. There's a part where they're transferring Alex to the hospital where he's going to get this treatment, right? There was so much unnecessary shots in this part the guy from the prison comes in. He's like screaming. Can we talk about how this guy, there's a lot of yelling in this movie. And I don't know if they were just told to project, but just screaming at top of their voice. The officer from the prison goes up to the people at the reception desk at the hospital and legitimately did the whole filling out of the paperwork for transfer. They signed in three separate places. Then they tore out a receipt thing it was just so long. And that's just an example of many unnecessary mundane tasks that they showed in the movie and added time to the movie. Like, we didn't need that. We didn't need that. Some people out there might be like, oh, it's the mundane nature of life. Like, we gotta take that in, too. And I'm over here, like, looking at my watch. It's not interesting. It didn't advance the story. It wasn't aesthetically pleasing. Like I didn't watch this like, wow, this shot is set up in such a way that my eyes are just enjoying the eye candy that I am intaking. Then we're going to talk about his treatment. I will say I can't with the with the f-ing eye thing. OK, that mm, I don't like eye stuff. Oh, I even I was so upset. Like I literally couldn't watch when his eyes were being held open and the drops being put in his eyes and then the drops were pooling. Oh, I was like freaking out about that. Uh, Mark did a little research. Apparently, it was an eye doctor who put those in his eyes because I was like, they have to, like, I would hope there was a doctor doing that. So it was. And the doctor was the person putting the drops in his eyes. But apparently, he still scratched his cornea. The actor who plays Alex, because of that, that's so alarming to me. But yeah, the eye stuff was a lot just because it was unpleasant to watch. Then the films too. Oh my gosh, the violence and then the rape scene. Like there is a lot that I felt that the movie lingered on for too long. There is just a lot of lingering on unnecessary things and then other things that just made it feel more like gratuitous, which I know is like the word of the day. But this movie just felt like maybe in 1971, I could see this being shocking and like, oh, my God, did you see a clockwork orange? But here's where I'm going to talk about something. I've been racking my brain. Because I've seen a lot of movies on Katie hasn't seen that now. And I'm like, okay, let's just like critically think about why some of these movies are so popular and why some of these are just in the zeitgeist movies like Pulp Fiction. I started to formulate this theory that because so many of these films are controversial for the time or they tackle things that normally aren't in mainstream media. And that people kind of go, oh, this is a cool thing to like. It's against the grain. It's, oh, it's a little artsy. It's got this really weird discussion on things people don't normally talk about. And I feel like it becomes more in vogue to like something because it's controversial than actually being a good movie or very good at storytelling. I thought this movie was awful at storytelling. It showed too much or too little. It didn't explain things as well as it could have. And the discussion that I think it was supposed to invoke, I just walked away like feeling gross. This movie is just kind of gross. It's unnecessary because we get to the point where we see Alex kind of getting his comeuppance, the consequences for his actions. And he can't fight back anymore because he got this treatment. It was not at all satisfying to watch him get that comeuppance. This movie felt so self-indulgent. And even with him finally getting those consequences, it's the same thing, but it's just switched to the other foot. It's just somebody else doing the same thing to Alex that Alex was doing to them. I don't know if it was supposed to be satisfying that, oh, like Alex is finally getting his cake. I don't know what it was a good saying for this. Alex is finally getting his humble pie. I don't know. But I didn't sit there and go like, ah, thank God he's getting what he needs. You know, get good, get Alex. I just was sitting there like, this is gross. It felt very, very self-indulgent. It didn't really feel like it was trying to do anything besides just doing controversial things. And also this movie would not end. Then they start rolling in in the last third act, all this political stuff. It's just, it was just dumb. Trying to use Alex as a way to get political gains in certain areas for different parties. It just was like, why? So I don't know if you can tell how I felt about this movie. I will say this. I really, really, really tried. And I really do try with these movies to go in with an open mind. Hmm. Y'all, I hated this movie, okay? I like really did not like this movie. After I finished it, the more that I sat with it and thought about it, I really hate this movie. It's like the more time I spend away from it and like now that it's done and I've seen it, the more I grow to dislike it. So I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed y'all made me watch A Clockwork Orange. Okay, it's fine. I Maybe I'll get some sort of references and I can have a good old laugh with someone about this at some point. Maybe. Maybe. Is there any jokes from this movie that anyone brings up ever that we can like bond over? I hope so. I really do hope. I hope. I hope this wasn't for nothing. So what am I going to give A Clockwork Orange? Listen, I tried so hard to find moments and bits of it that I did like. I didn't like any of the aesthetic. I didn't like any of the characters. I didn't like any of the ways that this movie told a story. Because there was effort put into making this movie, I am giving A Clockwork Orange 1 out of 10 use of the word Tolchuk. They use that word so many times. Okay. I did not enjoy this movie. Uh, And I will never watch it ever again. And I feel like Panic at the Disco should have done something different. You know, there are other things you could use for inspiration. That's not a clockwork orange because why is this cool to like? Why does anybody like this? I really need to know. I need someone in my comment section somewhere. Please just tell me. Come to my Twitch channel. Reply to me on Twitter. Reply on the YouTubes. Why do you like this film if you like it? I just need another perspective because I just cannot wrap my head around why this movie is even remotely as popular as it is. But let's talk about some trivia. Because that's always fun. Trivia, movie trivia is (laughs) fun. I feel like I'm like angry in this episode and I'm not trying to be. I just have to talk about these movies and I just really didn't like this one. (laughs) It's hard to hide that. Some trivia, apparently when Malcolm McDowell met Gene Kelly at a party several years later, the older star turned and walked away in disgust because Gene Kelly was deeply upset about the way his signature song from Singing in the Rain had been portrayed in A Clockwork Orange. Which I also, a fun fact about that, is Singing in the Rain got used in that scene because Stanley Kubrick spent four days experimenting with the scene, finding it too conventional so then he approached Malcolm McDowell and said, what would you do different? Can you dance? So they tried the scene again, and this time McDowell dancing and singing the only song he could remember, which ended up being Singing in the Rain. So Stanley Kubrick was so amused that he bought the rights to it in the Rain so that it could be used in the movie. We talked a bit about how the language in this film was used. Apparently, the language spoken by Alex and his droogs is author Anthony Burgess's invention called NADSAT, a mix of English, Russian, and slang. So Kubrick was afraid that they had used too much of it and that the movie would not be accessible, something the book also suffered from. And apparently they added to the end of the books to include an appendix glossary of this NADSAT language. I mean, it seemed like it did fine for the movie because, you know, it's pretty, you know, I hate saying the word iconic, but it's pretty iconic now. We spoke about how gratuitous this movie is. Apparently, this is only one of two movies rated X on its original release to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. I used to have all this interest in the award season. I'm like, wow, these movies are the best of the best. And then I find out that literally studios and places lobby for these movies to get nominated. And then if you ever look up people who vote, they literally just sometimes haven't even seen the movie. It's a freaking trip. I, it's all fake. It's all just a big hugabaloo. So I don't know. I don't trust it anymore. It's just interesting that a movie rated X made it to the list. There you have it. That is my thoughts and some trivia from *A Clockwork Orange*. Please let me know what you thought of this movie. I just, I just think it's distasteful. I don't like it. It wasn't a cool story. It didn't make me think afterwards. Besides just being not happy about it existing. But you know, I really would love to know why people like this movie so much. So please tell me. I can't wait to hear everybody tell me how wrong I am and how I missed everything in this that had meaning. But you know. I am really curious. Please share your thoughts. I want to know why you like this movie if you do, why you don't like this movie if you don't like it. And yeah, let's just start a discussion. That'd be pretty cool. I'm down for that. But before I go, here are some thoughts from all of you. Hello from the future. It is the year 2023 and it is early morning. I have my coffee and we are going to read some comments about the last episode of Hackers. We took a week off because it was the holidays. So I just took a week because I went on vacation. I went up to a snowy place with Mark, and we went cross-country skiing, and we ate a lot of food, and I tried a martini for the first time. I didn't hate it, but it's been on my bucket list for eons, it feels like, and we had an opportunity where we were at this lodge, and they had a bar right by our room, and so we got french fries and martinis, and it was okay. Um, I got it dirty. I think that's the way to get it. It's with (laughs) I'm not educated in these things, but just slowly checking off bucket list things. Anyway, how's your new year? Happy 2023. I hope you all entered it in a happy and safe and wonderful way and that it has started off greatly for you. I have had a really bad start to 2023, if I'm being honest with you. So I'm excited to connect with you all over the next year, make some good memories, and get started with some comments about the last episode, which is Hackers. I hope you all enjoy this episode of A Clockwork Orange. We only have another episode left. The finale is coming up. So let me know if you do want a season three. Keep your eyes peeled on my Kofi and on Twitch and all those places for information about potentially a season three if you all are interested. But I'm just going to keep rambling. So let's do some comments because we got quite a few on Hackers. Let's start with some YouTube comments. The first one from Dan SW saying, I'd watch anything with Angelina Jolie. (laughs) Um, I think some people might agree with that. Uh, A lot of people might agree with you on that. Up next is from Driving Me Spare, who said, I certainly agree with looking back to the days when everything was less of a rush when we were free of being contacted so easily, so much so that I turn my mobile to silent with no vibrate and only look at it when I feel like interacting with the world. Great review of hackers. Five out of 10 seems fair. I'm glad you agreed. <laughs> I used to be that person who had their phone on all the time, like notification sounds. And like I had cool notification sounds. I found a way to add the Star Trek transporter sound and doorbell sound from Next Generation to my phone. So like, of course, whenever I got a text or something, I wanted that to go off. But, you know, as time has progressed, the more and more like, damn, I mean, the more notifications I get. That's not a humble brag. Sometimes it's just Gmail emails that's like, Cole's cash today. So you get notifications like texts and Twitter and now Hive. Hive is a thing. I'm play KD Play over there. No one seems to be using it anymore. Remember when Twitter died for a day and then everyone's like, Hive, and then Hive went down for two weeks because of a security breach. And then Hive is back now, but nobody's using it. But I'm over there and I'll probably keep posting over there if you want to follow me on Hive. But just with the sheer amount of notifications nowadays, my too long didn't read is that I keep my phone on silent 100% of the time. I've recently started turning on the ringer for my phone, but I used to get so many phone calls that the ringer would trigger me into anxiety attacks. And so I had to start putting my phone on silent, but then I started missing calls. So I'm finding that sweet medium of like, which calls get through and then which ones don't. Cause like, I mean, honestly, I don't know if I'm the only person who has phone anxiety. I get stressed out and was a very shy kid, answering phones, talking on the phone, having to make phone calls. I get by now. I can call and make a doctor's appointment or a haircut or whatever. But I just get anxious on the phone and I get anxious when my phone goes off when I'm unprepared for it. Something I'm working on. So I get that. I have my phone on silent. This is a long tangent about me just keeping my phone on silent. Are any of you a silent phone gang? Let me know. But thank you, Spare, for your comment. I hope you're having a beautiful start to 2023. On to Twitter, we had some fun comments, starting with Josh WRB, who said, pool on the roof must have a leak. It must. (laughs) Everybody go follow Josh, as well as Rod, who are both from the Murder Moose podcast. I've done a few episodes over there. They have a new host over there as well named Continue. They talk about horror movies. So if you love horror movies and just wonderful conversations that kind of hop to and fro and Just talk about a love of horror. Please go follow Murder Moose. Both Rod and Josh have been just wonderfully kind to me. And uh, apparently Josh told me that Hackers was one of his favorite films. So I've watched Hackers now. I know what the things mean. From Invisible Jazz saying, Hack the planet. P.S. We know your password is God. (laughs) We also have a comment from Faster Than Light who shared, Hackers released in the middle of the 90s when home computer technology was becoming more affordable and commonplace. Its main rival was The Net with Sandra Bullock from 1995, meaning the movie. Some movie's cult following stems from hindsight in what's changed in the world since they released. I feel like I need to watch The Net now. Does anybody have any experience with The Net? Let me know if I need to watch that. I do love me some Sandy B. Y'all know that. When I watch Speed, Sandy B is pretty great. Thank you, Faster Than Light, for sharing your thoughts on hackers. Seriously, thank you all for commenting and sharing your thoughts on these movies because there were a lot for this one. And a lot of people yelling, hack the planet. I didn't realize this movie does have a full, deep cult following and people love hackers. So I'm nervous about a Clockwork Orange episode coming out because I am very curious to see what people are going to say about what I said about this one. But hopping over to Discord, there was a lot more that I'm just going to be picking a little bit because some people have shared a lot and I'm very grateful. So if you want to see some cool discussions and chat with people about the movies, go to Discord, Katie Peters Plays, and there is a channel. Just called Katie Hasn't Seen That. Easy peasy. Menagerie shared, I noticed that the show in the beginning was titled America First and gave me gross Trump vibes. And I had one of those moments of, damn, nothing has changed. Me too, Menagerie. I have that a lot with movies, especially American Psycho, which was a weird one for me to have that with. Menagerie also said, I kept comparing this movie to The Matrix. I also give it a 5 out of 10 and agree it ran a bit long. The exact moment I thought this was the amazing skate-by drop scene. Okay, I'm done. I love the show. Keep up the amazing work. Menagerie, thank you for sharing. It seems like everybody is on the same page, like a 5 out of 10 for hackers. You still feel differently. I know you'll let me know on the internet. And last but not least, we have a comment from Last Socratic who shared, I think a lot of hacker culture in the movie was inspired by Stephen Levy's book, Hackers, Heroes of the Computer Revolution. Really fascinating read, by the way. It was an early, maybe the first, history of hackers and hacking culture published in 1984 with a 10-year anniversary edition published in 94. The depiction of the New York hacker scene is fairly believable in terms of them finding each other and knowing about each other. Their fashion sense and nightlife is a little less believable, but New York City and punk culture wouldn't make it impossible. Now, this part's amazing to me. Also, I definitely knew a guy in the early 2000s that got expelled from my high school for hacking the school computers and changing his grades. (gasps) Oh, A lot of the things they did were at least conceptually possible, even if the on-screen execution was complete BS. There's been a lot of amazing discussion in Discord. Also, I know I had touched on like in the last episode, people being in films or having been associated with films and TV that we love that are now kind of tainted. And there was some comments in there that were discussing like the whole Kevin Spacey thing and Piano Badger had brought up listening to the Hackers episodes in response to the Kevin Spacey question. I really love Firefly and will forever have that Josh Whedon taint on it now. I get that. I love Firefly as well. It's just unfortunate that people have to be crappy and add like a swatch or even just dump all over things that we love and doesn't allow us to enjoy it or even watch it in the same ways that we used to. Holy goodness. Thank you all for the amazing comments this last episode on hackers. I went on for a while, but I wanted to include as much as I possibly could. I do wish you all have a happy and healthy 2023. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And please do not be shy. Tell me what you think about A Clockwork Orange and what I thought about it too. I'm excited to read the comments for the next episode. And I'm also very excited for you all for the finale episode. I think you're going to enjoy the movie choice. I really do. I think it was a good one. Until the next episode, I will talk to you all soon. If you want to hang out with me more, or if you just want to yell at me for my thoughts on a specific movie, I stream over on Twitch at www.twitch.tv slash If you'd like to support the podcast and buy me a coffee to fuel my reviews, you can over on Ko-fi at www.ko-fi.com slash you can join my Discord to discuss the movies I review with other Katie Hasn't Seen That fans by visiting discordapp.com slash invite peters plays If you enjoy Katie Hasn't Seen That, please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps others find the show. Also, feel free to follow and chat with me on Twitter at Play and on Instagram and YouTube at plays. Music written and performed by Mark can do it. 80 Hasn't Seen That is a part of the Geek Generation Network.